The COVID-19 pandemic has forced Nigeria to adjust her budget. It is projected that revenues will drop by as much as 3 trillion naira. And yet, in the supplementary budget the government has put forward, expenditure has been cut by only 321 billion naira. The budget of the National Assembly has been left intact and we're not sure if the spending in the presidency is being cut or if the president will be giving his full allocation for, among other things, travel and the presidential fleet. What is clear is that we will be financing a deficit of over 5 trillion naira with debt, this despite the fact that prior to the pandemic, we were already spending a whooping 25% of our revenue on servicing debt. So, is there a plan for growing our revenue, or is the government planning to borrow its way out of the coming recession? Hello and welcome to NOW, our podcast which examines the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on all aspects of our lives. I am Kadria Ahmed. In this edition, Nigeria's Minister of Finance, Budget and National Planning, Zainab Shamsuna Ahmed, says some people are having difficulty coming to terms with Nigeria's new economic reality. Not everybody gets it that this is a really difficult situation. So some people assume we can just continue to manage. We can't manage the way we have been managing before because the reality is radically different. Grammy-nominated Afrobeat musician Femi Kuti tells us about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on his music. It has been tough. Uh, we have had to cancel my European Spring Tour, my Canadian Tour, my American Tour. We have closed the shrine. Markets and stocks around the world have been taken on a roller coaster ride fueled by the coronavirus pandemic. But as nations continue to live in lockdown and businesses remain shut, the toll on economic health is being heralded by the canary in the coal mine, the micro, small and medium enterprises. Shokwe Martins reports. Micro, small and medium enterprises are the backbone of any economy. And in Nigeria, their business counts for up to 50% of gross domestic product, and they employ over 80% of the workforce. However, they are not as cushioned as large-scale businesses to be able to weather the brunt of a shutdown of business activities. With several states having gone into lockdown, petty traders and micro-businesses have been hardest hit as their incomes are calculated daily. While the private sector has responded, in some parts, to the unprecedented turn of the tide, the focus is on the federal government's response to the dilemma. Ugo Obichuku, founder of Naira Metrics, Nigeria's leading financial literacy website, had this to say. The impact is going to be drastic for, for SMEs, which is why the government is trying to come up with you know, all the stimulus plans and, and palliatives that they hope that would help um, alleviate some of the challenges. Unfortunately, not a lot of businesses would partake in these things, and uh, and that's because uh, some of them are not structured. Some are not also registered businesses. Some of them are basically one-man businesses and don't have any record-keeping. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for banks to maybe extend credit to these guys. Uh, in terms of grants, perhaps they might get some grants 
if, for example, they are registered to maybe associations. Uh, I believe that the government will, would have to deal with associations in that they belong to, and then from there they can now start to cascade the, the grants to these companies. Well, so, but it's a good thing that the government is giving out stimulus. I mean, that's basically uh, what any responsible government should do. And then we hope that it at least extends to as much SMEs as possible. The CBN announced in March that it would give a 50 billion naira targeted credit facility to households and small businesses affected by the coronavirus. Some business owners say they are wary of the bottleneck that could be involved in accessing this palliative, while others are ignorant of the intervention. Irene Ubani, business correspondent at Plus TV Africa, shares her thoughts on why this may be. To be honest, I feel like the government should really improve on their level of communication, particularly using channels that will help drive this message to those at the lower end of the pyramid. They don't need bogus grammar. Some of them don't even understand why they need to stay at home. They don't even understand why they need to have a lockdown because they live based on what they earn on a daily. And for business owners like Kemi Juba, the founder and creative director of Nigerian footwear brand K Aspen, the looming economic effect of the pandemic makes for an uncertain loan-taking environment. I am very, very much aware of the loans by the government. And although the idea of taking a loan with a a 9% interest rate without fully understanding how the coming months will be is more risky for us now. So what the management team is doing is basically more research uh, to be able to predict the behaviors of the coming month. And we are looking internally also at existing diversification plans to know which products are needed more this period with also a very okay profit margin so we can get ahead of this fast. In his nationwide address on the 29th of March, President Muhammadu Buhari announced the federal government would grant a three-month repayment moratorium for all government-funded loans, which include trader money, market money, farmer money, and all loans issued through the banks of agriculture and industry, as well as the Nigeria Export-Import Bank. Over the next few weeks, a total of 5 billion naira is expected to be dispersed through the Government Enterprise and Empowerment Program, reaching up to 500,000 petty traders nationwide. But hope is on the horizon for many more business owners with the Emergency Economic Stimulus Bill, which was introduced and passed third reading by the House of Representatives. If passed into law in its current iteration, the bill would provide much-needed tax relief to businesses reluctant to let go of their staff. However, with its ascent into law awaiting first Senate, then presidential approval, that bottleneck that business owners are worried about may already be in effect. This is Shopper Martins reporting. The transportation sector in Nigeria contributes 1.43% of our total GDP. 90% of this is from road transport, despite the fact that a large part of the sector is informal and the businesses that operate in it aren't always properly captured by the data available. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on road transport has been substantial, especially on those who are employees in the sector. Ekene Odigwe reports. Road transport is the most commonly used mode of public transportation in Nigeria. According to Father Hyacinth Ichoku, a professor of economics and financial analyst, 
road transport contributes about 3% to the total GDP in Nigeria. This means that 3.873 billion United States dollars was contributed to the Nigeria's nominal GDP of 2019, which is 129.1 billion United States dollars. The labor force is massive and unpredictable as there is no accurate data on how many players are involved because of its multi-level managerial bottlenecks. The federal government is supposed to intervene. But you can also notice that already that the federal government is constrained, the, uh, the state governments are already very severely constrained in terms of resources. Since the announcement of the lockdown in some states of the Federation resulting in closed interstate borders, many transportation businesses have been grinded to a halt. These people who are dependent on road transport for their well-being and that of their families are out of jobs. This has created a multiplier effect. Dr. Samuel Madako Nishi, the CEO of Peace Mass Transit Limited, foremost transport company in Nigeria, explained that they are not only faced with service disruption, depreciation of assets, but also staff welfare in meeting their monthly wage bills of their transport workers. As a business, as a going concern, you have obligations. You know, obligation to your suppliers, a transport company, obligation to, uh, to those that supplies papers to you, and then, um, both uh, locally and uh, uh, foreign supplies. Uh, one can also have an um, obligation to the financiers, maybe the banks or other sources of uh, financial support. He asserted that the government can be of great assistance, but they would rather focus on what possibly they can do since their major source of revenue, which is oil, has had its benchmark slashed from $57 per barrel that was budgeted for to $30 per barrel, reduced at almost 47%. Post-COVID-19, he said, will see us battling with more inflation as people will now see the second arm of this problem. After COVID, we gave back to business and then people realized that right now, to transfer money for your papers is four hundred and thirty dollar for four hundred and forty. Right now, it's going for dollar is going four hundred and forty. So it means that there's a twenty percent increase on cost of funds. You know, because most of the thing we use is imported, just like in every other business. So there's going to be some level of inflation, which will add to the losses that all of us have, have uh, accrued during this uh, uh, lockdown. National Union of Road Transport Workers (NURTW) who are part of the road transport unorganized sector, are most affected by the lockdown. In Enugu Metropolis, there are about 7,000 township buses operating within the city. The chairman National Union of Road Transport Workers, Enugu State Chapter, Onowu Asogomafu, is worried that his members are not benefiting from the federal government's palliative measures. He explains that in Enugu State alone, there are 50 branches, each with its executive providing soft loans for their members. But that is not sufficient. The branches are helping the members in terms of uh, little finances. But the side of the government, uh, they have not done anything. Now they say they are helping people at Nasarawal. We have not heard anything about within the southeast zone. Mr. Nyaudo is one of the commercial drivers who tried staying in business at the initial stage, but couldn't continue 
when the interstate borders were closed. He shares his experience. Before share, I've been able to go from here to, from Enugu to Wapa. It's been very easy, share because one, with the register for company, for where you want to go do your, your, your business, then from there they go load you, you go take a, your passenger to Wapa, from Wapa you bring a phone down. Like, if you go three times in a day, from Enugu to Aba, I will make better money, come back and take care of my children. But since when this COVID-19 comes inside Nigeria, and then state by state now, come to do, they call them border lockdown. They're going to get big problem. Also in Bayauso State, Jesse Ebenezer, CEO, Benaya Travels and Tours Limited, confirmed that the lockdown has completely affected their company and third-party earnings as there are no sub-loans or palliatives given to assist anyone in the transport industry to cushion the effect of their high losses. They say health is wealth. Life, life is very important to, to us, especially we Africans, and we Biafans too. We take life as a very important part of our day-to-day -day activities. But the impact of uh, the pandemic is really affecting we for a service that takes care of 90% of movement within Nigeria and 70% of goods, how will this lockdown in Nigeria affect our economic growth? Will road transport companies survive? And if they will, will there be a need to re-strategize their operations? So quite a number uh, is going to also cause um, economic meltdown, especially when you cannot move from one place to another in this economy. People, they need to provide services. They need to, people need to go from... Professor Obwoniachuku, the Commissioner of Finance and Economic Development in Ebony State, explains that at present, the government has no economic stimulus package for road transport workers as everything is geared towards feeding the vulnerable. Um, the answer to that is practically uh, no immediately. It is expected that at the end of this pandemic, the transport sector can once again pick up from its current economic downturn. Hopefully, two of the financial institutions in Nigeria would make good their promise to help revamp the sector through the insurance of economic stimulus packages. That includes loans at very low interest rates to help keep the small and medium-scale enterprises afloat. Similarly, the Federal Minister of Finance, Budgets and National Planning has presented a revised budget showing the impact of COVID-19 and the declining oil price on Nigeria's 2020 budget. Now, if road transport contributes this much to our economy, then this might be the wake-up call needed to start the repositioning of Nigeria's unorganized transport sector of the economy for the future. Ekene Odigwe reporting for Radio Now. Nigeria's Minister of Finance, Budget and National Planning, Zainab Shamsuna Ahmed, has the huge task of navigating Nigeria through the financial crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. She has prepared a supplementary budget designed, she says, to allow Nigeria successfully navigate the turbulent times ahead. When I spoke to her, I asked her 
why she has not cut expenditure in the supplementary budget to reflect the reality of dwindling revenues. Because we're handling a situation that actually requires increased spending. The health uh, expenditure is not what was planned on the budget, so we actually have to plan more health expenditure spending. And also we have to plan for economic stimulus that was also not provided for in the budget. So while we reduce the budget, we also have to bring incremental expenditure that were not in the original budget. So the net effect is lower than what we had planned in terms of uh, reduction in the size of the budget. Is, is it a problem that we now have a, a deficit that is almost at par with our revenue? And particularly, if you, it seems like what we're trying to do is fund that deficit through debt? It is a huge problem. First of all, we need to spend money to reflate the economy. And we need to upgrade the health infrastructure. We need to uh, ensure that major public works are carried out so that people are kept in jobs. To be able to fund the deficit, we're borrowing on concessionary basis. We're also renegotiating our debt repayment obligations. At the current budget, before the amendment, what we have for debt service is about 2.7 trillion naira. Now, you talked about the fact that uh, government needs to spend so that, you know, the economy does not get into the sort of recession um, that everybody has sort of projected. So I wanted us to spend a little bit of time looking at the composition of your expenditure. I went through what um, you'd published, and the, one of the first things that I noticed, for example, is that we haven't seen major spending when it comes to sort of public office holders. So, for example, the budget of the National Assembly still remains intact. I'm not clear whether the uh, budget for the presidency when it comes to maintaining, say, the presidential fleet or all the sort of monies that go into the villa have also been cut. Can you clarify whether these sort of major areas of expenditure have been looked at and have been reduced? And if not, why not? The principle for us was the president directed that we must protect salaries and pensions and we must protect major capital expenditure. But we are asked to now cut capital expenditure by 20% and we have also reduced recurrent expenditure from the ministries, departments and agencies by 16%. On the capital expenditure side, what we did is to bring out and remove what we call administrative expenditure. For example, buying of vehicles, rehabilitation of buildings, uh, building new head offices, and so on. As for the budgets of the uh, National Assembly, we have had engagements with them, and they're supposed to do that rationalization themselves because we don't have the details of what is the component of salaries which has been directed should be protected. And what component is recurrent, what component is capital. So they are supposed to do that. That, that seems to be a really strange approach because um, our assumption as um, lay people is that the Office of the Minister of Finance, which also um, works together with the Directorate of Budget and Planning, is responsible for the overall budget of government. And that this idea that there's a group of um, Nigerians sitting in Abuja who then determine what their resources should be used for and not used for seems a really rather strange way of doing things. Is this something that is protected by law? Is this a constitutional thing? It is 
not a constitutional thing, but we're asking them to do the cuts and provide the information to us so it will be included in the supplementary budget. And for us, as long as the principle is, is the same proportion that is done on our own budget, it's acceptable. So it means they, the judiciary, for example, gets to decide which component of their budget they will be cutting. Then we we'll put it together and then that now gets submitted as the executive proposal to the parliament. And, and if they refuse to implement any cuts, what happens? I don't think they will refuse to implement any cuts. From our engagement with them, they fully understand the seriousness of the situation where we are. So I believe they should be doing this. In um, your earlier statements, you had talked about the fact that you thought this presented a great opportunity in many ways for Nigeria to actually uh, diversify the economy, something that, as you know, has been talked about for a very long time without uh, not much happening. So to go back to the issue of the composition, is there anything in the supplementary budget and what you're doing that is targeted specifically at trying to repurpose our economy when it comes to productivity? So what we're trying to do in the stimulus package that the, the first stimulus package that the president approved is to introduce more of public works, mm. building of rural roads, building of social housing, things like that that will directly employ people and improve productivity. While we're trying to increase our productivity in agriculture, we're now also tweaking the plan to ensure that the, the leaning is as much as possible uh, leaning towards employing more people within agriculture. And the, the plan to mine the gap, because, you know, the, from sort of when you kickstart these things to sort of when they come to fruition, uh, in between, um, what, what is going to happen? We've already seen a little bit of um, unrest in places like Lagos and Abuja um, in the poorer parts of Lagos, we've actually seen them go into people's houses and attack them. Others are actually begging. So we're already beginning to see some sort of unraveling as a result of just two, three weeks of staying at home. So this is a very disturbing phenomenon. And what we are doing right now is we're planning for palliatives that would be released to the most vulnerable segments of the society. This will be in the form of transfers to individuals. We're still working out what percentage of our population we can cover in the first round, and this first round will be something that should take up in the next week and a half. In addition to the already planned cash transfers that the Ministry of Humanitarian Affairs has been implementing, which, by the way, is already planned in the 2020 budget, but this um, palliative is a different package that is not already planned in the 2020 budget. There have been concerns raised specifically about the fate of um, health workers who are day in, day out, jeopardizing their own health um, and, you know, are on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19 pandemic. Are there any plans that the federal government has put in place for this uh, particular category of uh, people? We're currently working on improving the uh, welfare for the health workers. We have a health insurance scheme, group light health insurance scheme for the public service, where today, uh, where, where this week in the process of paying for it so that the healthcare personnel that are working the front line are protected. And also we are working with the Ministry of Health to enhance the hazard allowances that they get. 
We also have information that they have had to recruit ad hoc staff to enhance the work. So we have also to prepare special packages for those ad hoc staff, not just in terms of their allowances, but also in terms of health insurance. And specifically regarding the COVID intervention fund, when you spoke to the National Assembly, I think it was last week, you had kind of indicated that you were looking for something like $500 billion. In the end, I'm looking at the budget, the number that made it in there was 150 Why is there a disparity? And if you've already calculated that $500 billion is what you need, where is that deficit going to come from? The 500 billion is an economic stimulus package that the president approved. And this is supposed to address health infrastructure and health operations. It's supposed to address public works. And it's also supposed to address other interventions like the ones that we're planning now. So in this 500, we have a projection of about 150. That is for health infrastructure and operations, including what is going to be provided as support to states as well. This first 500, the funding is coming from special accounts that we hold for different purposes. So the president has agreed we can mop up resources from those special accounts to provide for this intervention. But the process would be that the National Assembly has to pass amendments of those respective assetting of the special accounts into law for us to be able to, to proceed. To what extent is there any link between um, what you're doing and the money we keep hearing the private sector is um, raising? Are you at all part of the expenditure of that money or is it left to the special group set up by Mr. President to tackle COVID-19? So these funds are funds that are pulled in a special account in the central bank. Um, it was an initial initiative of the private sector. And in providing the money, they had also reached out to the presidential tax force on COVID-19 to find out what, where is the most critical area of need. So their fund is being used to provide health infrastructure as well as products that are to be used for the health intervention. And for us, we look at it as a funding source. So while the uh, PT have made a budget that is roughly about $84 billion, we're, we're planning that part of the funding for that 84 will be from the private sector pooled funds. Finally, given the sort of debt profile that we have and the fact that we are now going a borrowing again and we know what's happening to the price of oil, I'm curious as to what you are presenting to the people who are giving us money as your pathway to repayment. Because um, like we said, even before this pandemic, about a quarter of our revenues were going towards servicing debt and we're about to borrow a whole lot more. We have made this request to the World Bank, to the IMF, to the African Development, to uh, Islamic Development Bank, and also to a smaller extent, the African Bank. Each of these institutions will conduct their analysis along with us with information on how the debts will be serviced. The COVID-19 response funds that these banks have a rapid supply funds, which means they process it quickly and provide it. They also are aware that almost every country in the world is grappling with the same issue, so they have reduced the kind of criteria that they would impose if it was just a regular borrowing. And part of the things is accommodation to renegotiate existing borrowing 
extending the tunnel to give us room to be able to service this new desk that we're taking on. But you are comfortable that um, you won't be the minister that saddles Nigeria with debts that become unmanageable in the future? Nobody is comfortable with that. But the situation warrants us that we should do that. It's either we sit back and say we will not borrow and just leave with what we have, and then that means we're not able to cope with, with upgrading the health infrastructure and the possible uh, consequences that may arise if uh, the COVID-19 pandemic escalates beyond what it is right now in the country. Again, part of the grumbling you hear when you speak to people who are regular Nigerians is that they're not getting the sense that people in public office, particularly um, uh, at the federal and also I think National Assembly to a certain extent, are ready to cut down their spending, you know, modulate their appetite for good things in order to sort of just ensure that Nigeria does well, almost as if people seem to believe it can be business as usual. They point to the example of the National Assembly going ahead and spending billions of uh, Naira on cars. So my question to you is, from speaking to your colleagues, uh, both at the Federal Executive Council, but also people in government, including elected or public officers, how comfortable are you that um, people understand the urgency of this situation and the fact that it cannot be business as usual? To be honest, I think not everybody gets it that this is a really difficult situation. Uh, so some people assume we can just continue to manage. We can't manage the way we have been managing before because the reality is radically different. If we didn't have this pandemic, we still needed to increase the rate of our growth beyond the, the rate at which we are growing. So we have very serious challenges. And with time, when people are asking for resources and they are not getting it, then they will understand the message. We are going to be very careful and very selective on what we provide the limited resources for. Musicians are facing difficulties caused by the COVID-19 pandemic as the show business aspect of their work has had to stop. It is difficult for the books to balance when concerts have been cancelled while wages continue to be paid and superstar lifestyles maintained. Grammy-nominated Afrobeat star Femi Kuti, who's had to cancel his summer gigs, which are his most lucrative source of income, spoke to Abdul Okwecheme about how the pandemic has affected him. I'm sure like for most people, it has been tough. Uh, we have had to cancel my European spring tour, my Canadian tour, my American tour. We have close the shrine. If you remember, the shrine was one of the first places to close, if not the first place to close before the government, the government directed that we should lock down. This is because I've been watching the news and saw that a church in South Korea kept the church open, and that was the cause of the spread in South Korea. Now, knowing that the shrine is one of the biggest tourist attraction centers in Lagos State. My elder sister and I thought that it was very important for us to close. So we would not encourage the spread here. That was why we quickly closed the shrine down before Lagos State now closed, shut down Lagos State. We are facing the financial crisis like everybody. 
you know, as I'm sure you know, we have at least a hundred people working for us at the shrine, security, bar ladies, bar men, cleaners, the band. So, but I mean, we all have to weather the storm like everybody. It's important for us to quickly weather the storm so we can get back to our daily lives. If this virus spreads, then we're not going anywhere. <laughs> so the sooner we lock down the virus, the virus stops spreading, the better for all of us. Having said that, it is very important at this stage for government to quickly put all the infrastructures in place. Unfortunately for us, the government has underperformed over the years. There is hardly any sector, if, I mean, there is no sector in this country that works to our satisfaction. I think this is the time for government to now show that they are government and put all these things in place. Having said that, I have been watching the news and I've seen that the government has put the initiative of distributing food. This is where government has to be government. Government should have been delivering to every household and ensuring this food gets to everybody. There are millions of people that need this food. I mean, it's important or else we're going to be facing not just the epidemic, we're going to be facing anarchy and pandemonium. Uh, Fabi, as a UNICEF ambassador, uh, what are you doing or have you done with or without UNICEF to help uh, in enlightening people about this uh, COVID-19? I'm enlightening people while closing the shrine. While we were closing the shrine, I put a lot of, I put a post out saying it was very important for us to keep our hands clean. And these are directives from the World Health Organization. But in my own little way, I've done my little bits. And don't forget, like I said, I'm facing my own financial crisis right now, where I'm lamenting. I don't have to come in public and start saying my problems. My musicians are, were supposed to embark on a tour. We had already bought tickets for Europe. Our European tour, we already bought, bought tickets for our American, Canadian tour. We had booked hotels. We have booked um, a tour bus. We have paid PR to publicize the show. The venues had spent money publicizing the show. So a lot of money has already gone. I am, we are facing our own crisis, internal crisis here. We have security people that survive in the shrine, workers that survive in the shrine, and cannot. we can't afford to pay them. We have been able to provide uh, food for people that stay there because a lot of... The shrine is like an SOS village. A lot of people stay there because they don't have... They don't have um, accommodation. They can't uh, take care of themselves. So the place is really open for a lot of people to stay. We have provided food for them there. But for how long can we continue this when the shrine is not up and running? So, like I said, we are facing our own crisis, internal crisis here. No, we, we have done our little bit. Post COVID nineteen. Do you think people will still come out and mass to attend shows? So I think the most important thing is for a vaccine or a cure or something, then we can get our lives back to normal again. Okay. Why you are at home now? I think this is an opportunity, that's what I believe as a creative person, to create more music and uh, work on some sounds that people haven't heard. 
11th album now. I was just in the process of releasing it just after the tour. We are supposed to sign a contract with the label Meeting Factory, which has been put on, which has slowed down. It's not on hold, but has slowed down because we are going to meet in America. The video was supposed to come out this month. So everything has been put on hold because the video was supposed to be was supposed to be part of the promotion of the tour. We are supposed to have a release. My son, Amori Madi, was supposed to release his own album. He was supposed to go to Paris to do his final mix. He can't go again because Paris is under lockdown. Lagos, Nigeria is under lockdown. Airlines are not moving. So he can't... <laughs> We're still hoping that everything will end quickly so he can rush to Paris, finish his mixing, and hopefully maybe we'll still keep our October date for the release of his own album. So many things are... I mean, it has completely disrupted all our plans. Where we're going to start from now depends on when is the lockdown going to end, when our airlines going to start flying, when is when our borders going to open again, which I don't see any of this happening in the near future. But until this happens, we are in a dilemma, really. As so creativity too is locked down. Is that what you are saying? I mean, the immediate creativity is locked down. We put everything in place to quickly release the album as soon as the opportunity arises. Why are you saying that? Of course, it's not lockdown or no, lockdown or no lockdown. I think I'm a musician, so I always have to wake up and do my hours of practice every day. So this I still do. Um, so, of course, if uh, new songs come into my head, we put them down. But... I will continue. I, this is the way I work. I'm a musician, so I do my work. But for the public to hear my work, uh, it depends on the lockdown. Of course, I will always start. I will. I always try to be perfect. I always try to improve. That is, that is the objective of being a musician. You always have to wake up and practice, do more research, better yourself as a musician, which I always do. I'm trying to do this. And the light happened before we go. Fabi, how are your nine children? They are now 10. They are now 10. They are 10 now. <laughs> uh, one has gotten married with his wife. Uh, one is not, the second one to the eldest of my adopted child children. He is married. He's still here. He, so we are all under lock and lock. My compound is kind of like a little village. We're all in our apartments, uh, but we're all bonding. The good thing about the lockdown is that we get to interact every day. We have a little football field, so we all go and carry weight and everything. I watch this. I'm too old for all that one right now. <laughs> but the, the family is bonding very well. It's great to see my children grow on a very daily basis. Normally, I'll probably be on tour or playing, working at the shrine. I don't get to see them. For so much i don't spend this much time with them normally and that's it for this edition of now i am adria ahmed